0: Welcome back to the Finley Capital Podcast. My name is Logan Ricchetti. As always, this podcast is sponsored by the Hard Money Handbook. You can go to www.hardmoneyhandbook.com to download a free report to learn how to use hard money loans to fund your real estate deals. Also brought to you by the Facebook group, Powered by Private. If you are a real estate investor that wants to learn more about using private capital to fund your real estate deals, or if you would like to learn more about how to deploy your own capital into private loans, that's the group that you want to be in. Powered by Private on Facebook. All right, today I have a special guest, a buddy of mine from the Hard Money Mastermind, the Hard Money Bankers Inner Circle group. He and I are both private lenders trying to build our own private lending companies. We actually... Got a chance to meet in Midland a couple weeks ago. He he came through town in Michigan and we had lunch, which was cool. Today, we're going to discuss building a private lending company, the trials and tribulations, getting getting off the ground and getting rocking. To do that here is my pal, John Harcrow, and he's with REI Bankers out of Texas, right? You're in Texas?
1: Absolutely. The Tomball Woodlands, Texas
0: area. Boom.
1: I don't know where that is. Where is that? The Woodlands is about 40 minutes, 40 miles north of downtown Houston.
0: Your background is with building new construction and financing new construction, right? How does that play into hard money private lending and and where are you trying to go? My
1: background is uh, to your point. And first, before we start, thanks for having me, Logan. Just a big shout out to you first and also Chris and Jason with Hard Money Bankers. Just to give everyone a quick backstory, I called Logan out of the blue many months back and saw that he was a hard money lender. I just started spitballing asking him questions. One thing led to another and you've been a great support throughout this process. So I really appreciate it.
0: Happy to help. I like having friends in the same business. This is good for everybody. It's good stuff.
1: Uh, Absolutely, but but no, so my background, it's been in uh, asset management, property management, commercial and residential real estate. And over the last five years, it has involved a lot of new construction, On the finance side i've got a really good friend who runs a construction company and so throughout the last few years as he secured financing he started working with hard money lenders i raised equity on those deals and quickly realized that not all hard money is the same there's many different options out there Uh, a lot of it is tailored more towards fix and flip some towards new construction and so Through that process and and trying to help him, I really became fascinated with the business and wanted to learn more. And one thing led to another. And so my equity deals, we transitioned a lot of those into promissory notes, which led to me creating REI Bankers.
0: And what is the vision for REI Bankers? What are you trying to develop now? The
1: core vision is a local private hard money lender. Uh, There's a lot of national groups out there where someone calls and they're just a number. I'm here locally in the greater Houston area. I'm an investor myself. I wanna help investors who, especially recently, can't get to the traditional financing, especially in a timely manner. I really wanna grow the business. I wanna build a really competitive new construction product, which we've worked with a few builders now. And so we're tweaking that and also provide lot acquisition financing for builders, developers who are gonna build, but they need a few months to to get these lots um, permitted, et cetera.
0: And how do you plan to capitalize this company? Where where is the uh, capital gonna come from?
1: Similar to how you initially started, we're doing a co-lending model, working with small group of investors. And so as, as we grow our business, we're gonna expand that model potentially uh, down the road, we would consider doing some type of fun.
0: Walk me through a new construction private loan. How does that look? How, how does that, what's the structure of a new construction private loan? I don't think there's
1: enough time in the podcast to cover all of it. So the most important factor is really protecting your risk on the front end. And I've heard you uh, speak to this many times in some of your podcasts. Typically, if the builder acquires the lot ahead of time, then the project underwrites pretty cleanly and they're typically, they're out of pocket other than the construction reserve that's held back. They pretty much have enough equity in the deal to to get it funded. If they come to me with, hey, we wanna buy this lot and build, they're gonna have to come up with at least 25 to 30% down. Of the project we like to keep it conservative 65 to 70 percent loan to value some some lenders advertise they'll do like up to 85 percent but in this climate we like to keep it a little more conservative
0: all right so if i want to build a new construction Deal in Houston, Texas. I got to bring the land paid for, entitled, ready to go, or at least paid for as as the down payment or the equity portion of the transaction. And then there's still going to be a construction reserve. You're going to release my draws to me in in arrears and reimbursement structure, so that I'm always the, the construction progress is always staying ahead of the draw releases, right?
1: Correct. And typically, we'll release first draw after foundation is poured, so the builder will get it from lot clearing to poured foundation and we'll release draw one and then it's set up in
0: typical stages one of the things i really like about the draw schedule for new construction as opposed to the draw schedule for a renovation job is the milestones the benchmarks if the checkpoints if you will they're much more clearly defined like you just said you might release your first draw when the foundation is poured you might release your second draw when the framing is complete and then you might release your third draw when the house is capped or, or whatever. But at least you can really clearly see stages of progress throughout the, the construction lifecycle so that you can write a pretty reliable draw release schedule that not only keeps the project moving forward, but it also keeps the lender in the equity position ahead of the construction progress because as you know mid construction or beginning construction is when there's the most exposure for the lender because that salvage value or that or that resale value is so limited at that time once that construction is completed now that full that full value has been created And the exposure level for the lender is now at its ratio where we want it to be. But a lot of the risk in a in a loan, either a new construction or a renovation loan, is in the middle of that construction. So I like the idea that with new construction financing, at least you have very clear milestones and checkpoints, so that you can you know from the beginning of the job to the end of the job, that you as the lender are going to stay. in a a relatively safe position, because you're gonna be ahead. Your funds left in escrow are gonna be more than the value of the property at any given time, which is where you as the lender wanna be, right? Absolutely,
1: and from a budget perspective, when a builder provides a budget, it's very specific. Fix and flip, as you know, can be a little more ambiguous, especially if if the investor isn't as experienced, but typically with, with new home builders, they provide a budget, Contingency is built in through my experience on the finance side of new construction. I can sanity check the numbers pretty quickly and through my friends and other contacts in the industry, it it makes it a little more cleaner process.
0: So what would be the average loan amount in Houston, Texas for new construction that you'd like to be lending on? Take us through a deal.
1: An average construction loan in, in Houston overall, if you look at the overall market, it's going to be much higher than what I tell you. We like to focus on the value space, which value homes. Some, especially if anyone's listening in the Northeast, they'll laugh. Value homes typically sell in this area and in the rural tertiary markets for two hundred and thirty to two hundred fifty thousand. And so, the construction loans, on average, are anywhere from. 150 to 175
0: oh wow, that doesn't sound bad that's interesting to me that's a, a median high house price range that's not going to crash you know in texas i'm sure
1: Very for cool. sure and that and that's one of the appeals um and and part of my experience is on the built to rent side the value home space and so as a lender i'm much more comfortable with exposure in in that price point because there's always multiple exits.
0: Yeah, if you're, if you're a lender and you have a $200,000 loan exposure on a deal, versus an $800,000 loan exposure on a deal. Even if the loan to values are the same and every other factor is the same, your exit strategy with that 200K loan is much more clearly defined than it would be with an 800K loan. In other words, it's a lot easier to dispose of a toxic deal, a bad deal, a deal that's falling apart when the, when the disposition value is 200,000 than when it's 800,000. There's something to be said about focusing as a lender on those types of loan products and those types of price ranges because it's just easier to exit if there's a problem. You know, I have a problem right now that's a 500K problem and I have a problem that's a 75K problem. And it's like, only one of them keeps me up at night. You know, um, you can get out of both of them, but it's a lot easier to get out of a problem that's in the median housing price range because you know, you've got investors that can come in, you can finish it yourself, you can sell it at a, at a marginal loss if you have to, or any other exit strategy like that. But that's interesting to, to hear you say that because I totally agree. The average, the median priced housing range for loans is where you know you're going to be okay if you have a bad if you have a bad deal.
1: Well, and put it this way too, Logan. I I would much rather have to figure out how to finish a 1,500 square foot, two hundred and thirty thousand dollar home versus a ten thousand square foot custom. Home. It's just a much bigger animal on, on the larger product. So I'm not saying we wouldn't consider it, but that's just not our sweet spot.
0: And I think there's something to be said about having a sweet spot and sticking with it. And, you know, at Finley Capital, we do between 10 and 20 loans a month right now. And we're trying to keep as, those loans as much like a widget as possible, looking the same, structured the same, roughly the same value, same prices, same ratios. So I think as you build and as you mature through the development of your lending company, wherever you end up, you're gonna f- hopefully find that and try to duplicate loans like that over and over again.
1: Absolutely. And what what my widget is now uh, could certainly evolve over time, but that's one thing that's great about new ventures and and experience as as out as potential projects come along. You learn, but I'm pretty comfortable and kind of where we are, where we're headed.
0: All right, let's talk about your actual company. You got marketing operations and accounting. What do you have? What's your marketing operation look like right now? What are you doing? I'm scaling up and ramping up. I have been lucky enough to rely on
1: a lot of my contacts in the industry thus far. Part of really uh, being able to grow and and scale the business, it will be the traditional channels. Um, social media. uh, Our website is being finalized as we speak, networking events, um, other realtor connections, etc.
0: All right. So everything you just said is pretty much exactly what we do, with one exception, which is uh, weekly email campaigns. So I think for a for a new private lending company. The marketing strategies, all you need, I think, are a podcast that can be clipped and then syndicated throughout your social media, kind of like we do right now. One long form podcast that can be cut into 10, 10 or 15 clips. I think you need that into uh, syndicated through a weekly email. So you need one kind of centralized email database. And then what we do is we send emails weekly and we send out some of that content every week. So like, for example, this podcast episode will go out in that. And then the big one that you mentioned too is real estate investor networking, networking clubs and groups, whatever. And then those realtors for referrals. And then of course, a website, some kind of website that that all, all the traffic is driven to that has some kind of capture mechanism, either an application or a quick quote form or, you know, a downloadable handbook or something that hopefully funnels from your website into your CRM where your email campaign can go out. That's a pretty straightforward marketing plan for a new lending company. And what most of our companies find out is they don't need to do too much marketing because you know you only have so much capital, which equates to so many deals per month. And you can only do so much. But as you ramp up, you really need to have that infrastructure in place. So I love to hear that you're putting that into place. And hopefully you stick with it because that's a big part of the engine is having that consistent marketing going out there.
1: I always believe, Logan, you shouldn't reinvent the wheel. And yeah. p- part of my transition into this business was watching guys like yourself. The blueprint and playbook is there and you've just got to really make it your own. But I will say, you know, I have an MBA in marketing and I've never done a podcast before. (laughs) So just just the, the learning curve on setting up and figuring out, I know it sounds silly, but just the microphone and uh, production, it, it can, it can be a daunting task, but like anything you, you dive into it, you break it down. I think that the biggest, the most challenging part, especially scaling any business is the complete ocean's very large. And so you really do have to break it down. I mean, there's a million things I could do for marketing. And to your point, I've kind of prioritized in a very short order. I'm not the type of guy that really enjoys I've shared this with you. I can't envision myself just making a bunch of YouTube videos, talking to a camera. I would be much more comfortable talking to other players in the industry, other realtors, and doing some type of podcast. So that will be the plan. And then, of course, REI meetups so yeah i'm I'm really excited
0: you know what they don't teach you when you get that mba they teach you the four p's but they don't teach you the fifth p podcast that's the fifth p that they need to teach you over there in grad school i got one of those master of sciences too but i don't do much with it now i just do a podcast once a week
1: well this ages me a bit but when i was in grad when i was in grad school um, they just came out with twitter and um, <laughs> one of my professors told us about Twitter and we all laughed and was like, what are tweets? You know, it's, it's just funny how things change. So y- yeah, the the learning curve though, on the marketing side, we all want to maximize um, our marketing spend. There's tons of hard money lenders out there and there's a lot doing just big advertising. But again, what I have found, a lot of those are these national lenders. And so I can't stress this enough. If you're a real estate investor looking for any type of lending or loan, I think it's important to find someone locally that knows the market and someone you can either just meet with, have a cup of coffee. Just go look at a project together.
0: Yeah, you're not going to get, you know, Kiavi to come down and walk your job with you. You're not going to get Lima One Capital to hop on a Zoom call and run numbers. There's something very, very valuable about having a, a true private lender as opposed to a corporate nationwide hard money lender you know, there one might be a little bit more expensive or less expensive than the other. But the service and the quality and the face to face the difference is can't be understated. So obviously, I'm, we're all biased because we're private lenders. But it's just I've done both as a as an operator, I've I borrowed from a private individual and I borrowed from a institutional source. And it's not even close. When I used to be a borrower, and I'd have a private lender lend me money, he would come out to the project and help me cut trees down on every job. You know, and obviously, John's not going to be cutting your trees down for you. But it's that kind of level of service and care and, and relationship that can really be a major differentiator between a private lender and a hard money lender. I'll give you an example. If you have a good private lender like John, And you're down in Houston flipping houses and you do a job with you do a loan with John and you pay it back. You do a loan with John, you pay it back. You are now very important to John as he is to you because he wants to continue lending to you because he knows you're a good risk. So what that means for you as a borrower is that John is always going to take your call. He's always going to put your loan as a priority. He's always going to make sure he has capital available to lend to you as opposed to Kiavi or Lima One or RCN Capital or all these other clowns. They might change the terms of your loan on the day that you get your approval. They might pull your funding on the day you're supposed to close because they have a corporate shift in policy or because interest rates change in some third-party market in China that you don't even know about. These companies will let you down. They will change terms on you. They will make you pay 800 bucks for an appraisal for that appraisal to come in at value for them to then change it internally and say that they don't agree with the price. And I will tell you, John, that happened to me and I'm on my little horse now because when I spent 800 bucks to get an appraisal on a loan that I was trying to refinance out of a hard money loan, and that appraisal came in at value. And then that underwriting internal team said, it's 20% too high. We're going to change the exposure. And I said, no, the hell you're not. We're done. That was the last time I agreed to pay 800 bucks for an appraisal from a hard money lender because I know what they do. They play the game. They cut your legs out from under you. They are not ethical. And they will do whatever they can to make sure that their loan exposures are lower. And they know that once you've spent money and once you've gone down a path for three weeks that it's hard to change your mind. John will not do that. Finley capital will not do that. We will not do that to you. That is not what private lenders do. What private lenders do is they run their analysis or they get their third party opinions, whatever. But if it's, if it's a problem, they tell you right away and they help you right away. And if it is a problem, it probably means that there's something to to look at there. The difference between a hard money lender and a private lender is night and day. And so I'm, I'm a little fired up now, but I'll, I'll chill. I'll chill. John will keep me chill. Give the private lender a chance. I, I've had somebody say, well, you know, you're at X points and, and, the, and that company's at Y points. And I'm like, okay, well, the difference is I'm on the phone and I can close it next week. And I'll close the next one for you next week. And I won't change my lending policy next week. I'm going to be here for the next three years. And you know what? If you want to save 600 bucks on this loan, then call that guy. But if you want me here with you for the next five years, work with me. You know, and I don't say it like that, but that's kind of the value proposition between the lender and a private lender and a hard money lender, so.
1: I'll give you a great example, Logan. La- last week, um, I got a call from a referral. Really good realtor, buddy of mine, works with someone. She was doing a fix and flip loan. she just gotten the appraisal done. It was a home under contract, pre-foreclosure. Uh, worked her through the numbers. She also asked for just a couple of scenarios. I helped her with pro formas, went through the process. We were getting close to getting a deal done. She was very transparent through the process. She texted me about 9 p.m. the night before we were gonna get everything going. She said, Hey, I'm speaking with a family friend, and I'm so sorry, but it looks like they they may fund this deal. And I just said, Let give me a ring tomorrow. So I talked to her. I said, Hey, I I, I just want you to know, like, if you can go get cheap. Family and friend money. I don't want you to feel like have any hard feelings or worry about us because as I said our goal is we want to build a relationship with you, and and we know if this project doesn't happen, there's going to be another one down the road. I mean, she was able to get like eight percent with no money down from a family friend who was essentially going to go in with her on the project, and so I, I think she was really appreciative, but. I, I want to reiterate that to your point, these larger lenders, you're just a number to them and they're one, they could be one and done. And I would much rather build a relationship with a smaller group of repeat customers. So there's that comfort level there and we're, we're in it together. I, I would actually get concerned if someone actually had a project and they just were looking for a one and done. Situation. I mean, we're here to do the right thing. We're not here to feed people to death. We're we're not loan sharks. And I think hard money has gotten such the nomenclature um, sounds so scary. Hard money, but once you really start exploring what it is and the benefits, uh, especially right now in today's climate, I can't stress this enough interest rates in the macro environment has gotten really, really difficult for anybody other than a huge institutional builder or flipper to get either credit lines or capital from a traditional bank. And so hard money now more than ever, I think, is going to be a lifesaver during the economic times that we're entering in.
0: All right. If I'm in Houston and I need a hard money loan, who do I call? Where do I go?
1: REI Bankers. REIBankers.com. You can call me directly on my cell phone, 713-360-8268. Go get them.